Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Great to have you along for another edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas, out to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. As USDA continues to examine the impact of agriculture on air quality, an AgriLife official from the Texas High Plains is contributing to the discussion. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. The state of the sorghum industry and the diversity of sorghum for consumer consumption. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have those details on Texas Ag Today. January's a pretty cool month in Texas, and we're going to talk about starting vegetable seeds indoors. Please join me, John Begno, as we get fired up about gardening this spring. We'll have those stories, plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. But first, here's Jessica Domel with news headlines. A U.S. congressman from Texas has been recommended for a seat on the House Ag Committee. Congressman Michael Cloud is the only representative from Texas on a list of several lawmakers suggested by the Republican Steering Committee. Democratic leadership has not yet announced its recommendations for the House Ag Committee. Landowners who are interested in enrolling in the Conservation Reserve Program have just a few days left to sign up at their local Farm Service Agency office. The deadline to apply for the competitive program is February 12th. CRP provides annual rental payments to enrolled landowners who establish long-term resource conservation practices to improve soil and water quality and wildlife habitat. Again, the deadline to apply is February 12th. Texas commercial feeders were marketing more cattle in December, and cattle raisers were sending fewer cattle to feed yards at the start of the new year. There were more than 2.8 million head of cattle and calves on feed in Texas feedlots January 1st. That's down 3% from the same time in 2020. 380,000 head were placed into commercial feedlots in Texas in December, down 7% from a year ago. Texas commercial feeders marketed 395,000 head in December. That's up 8% from the year prior. A two-part seminar on bison and exotics will be held online February 2nd and 4th. A link to register is available on today.agrolife.org. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Cattle industry officials are closely watching the biannual USDA cattle inventory report coming out this Friday. Dr. Daryl Peel is Extension Livestock Market Economist at Oklahoma State University. He expects the numbers to continue to show a small reduction in the nation's cow herd. 
kind of continuing what happened in 2020. If you look at the cow inventory specifically, which is kind of the primary source of supply long-term in the industry, beef cow numbers peaked in 2019. They were off a little bit in 2020. I look for them to be off again a little bit in 2021 as of January 1. Generally across the board, slightly tighter numbers. Peel says reading the data can be challenging when trying to determine if the nation's herd is contracting or expanding. A year ago, we actually had fairly large inventories of beef replacement heifers, which could have suggested that we would not see much liquidation. But as you looked at slaughter numbers through the year, there's kind of mixed bags and there was so much volatility last year, it made it kind of hard to read. The bottom line is I would look for the beef replacement heifer number to be down a little bit on a year-over-year basis. Not that it really suggests a lot of liquidation, but really to a level that would be consistent with pretty stable kind of beef inventories. The National Cattle Inventory Report is issued every January and July and gives us an idea of how many beef cows we have in the United States. Texas milk production increased during the final quarter of 2020. Production during the October-December quarter totaled 3.8 billion pounds, up 4% from the July-September quarter and up 8% from the same quarter a year ago. The average number of milk cows in Texas during that quarter totaled 608,000 head, That's up 31,000 from the same quarter in 2019. An AgriLife official from the Texas High Plains will weigh in on agricultural air quality. James Hunt reports from Amarillo. Dr. Brent Overman is the center director at the Texas A&M AgriLife Research and Extension Center in Amarillo. And it has just been announced that Dr. Overman has been appointed to serve on the USDA task force for agricultural air quality research. The task force consists of about 30 members from across the country, representing a broad cross-section of people from the realms of agriculture, science, government, and others with an interest in agricultural air quality. Dr. Overman says the task force does not directly formulate government policy, but... The task force is going to be asked to evaluate policy proposals in all likelihood and give a sense of A, how effective they would be at achieving whatever goals are attached to the proposal, and then secondly, how much is it likely to cost, and and so forth. And as to what he brings to the table, Dr. Alverman says... My primary contribution will be on the scientific basis for supposing that a particular proposal might improve air quality or reduce pollution, etc. I will not be there as an advocate for anything except science and the efficient and cost-effective implementation thereof. We'll hear more from Dr. Overman on the task force and the topic of agriculture and air quality in upcoming reports. Speaking of AgriLife, as to the producer education meetings AgriLife offers, I'm advised that due to the COVID situation, things remain on the fluid side as to when certain meetings are taking place and whether they are open to -to face-to-face attendance or being conducted strictly online. If you want to know about AgriLife meetings in your area, contact your local extension office. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas sorghum industry is experiencing an upswing right now. Tom Nicoletti has more. My guest today is Cody Carson. He is chairman of the National Sorghum Producers Board of Directors. He also uh, raises sorghum, corn, wheat, cotton, and some cattle in the Texas Panhandle. And uh, Cody, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Tom. Glad to be with you today. So, Cody, let's start first by talking about the state of the sorghum industry uh, here in Texas and across the United States. With uh, the trade from China and the export market uh, being really strong, basis is at a historically high level. 
I would say most sorghum producers are, are pretty pleased right now and uh, definitely seeing an increase in, in seed sales and, and bookings for next year's production as well. Now, Cody, sorghum uh, historically has been uh, a crop that was uh, fed to livestock and that was primarily uh, the market for it. But uh, certainly uh, uh, this year and, 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 and in many years past, uh, uh, there has uh, been a market uh, for sorghum for other products uh, that go into uh, actual uh, f- food products for consumers. So uh, certainly uh, an evolution in the industry. Well, certainly, you know, we're, we see 80% of all U.S. production going overseas to the export markets. Our two biggest exporters, uh, China, which everyone knows, uh, and China uses U.S. sorghum for, for mainly two uh, purposes. The, the Chinese uh, people eat a lot of duck meat, and sorghum uh, provides a flavor and a, and a fat coloring that they really like. So a, a lot of the U.S. sorghum is fed to ducks uh, for slaughter, and then Bajo, which is a predominantly Chinese alcoholic drink that is is the largest consumed uh, alcohol beverage per by gallon in, in the world. Uh, they love to use U.S. sorghum for that. Uh, a market that's really come on strong this year is, is Vietnam. Uh, once we got past some phytosanitary rules with them, and they're using a lot of U.S. sorghum for aquaculture feed to feed fish. Uh, so that that's an with uh, sorghum being a, uh, a non-GMO product that makes it easy to export into countries that are, are very restricted. You mentioned the, uh, the food industry, and that's a real exciting segment. Uh, I, a lot of people are familiar with the kind bars that they're seeing uh, in, in convenience stores and grocery stores, and, and they use a lot of sorghum products in that. There's also uh, a, a snack food called Pops that is similar to Cheetos that my family absolutely loves that's using sorghum as a basis. We're seeing a lot of uh, the popularity in food shows. They're using uh, pearl sorghum and or you know, different types of sorghum in, in salads and foods. So it's a pretty exciting time since, since sorghum is non-GMO and gluten-free. It's fitting some niches in the food industry that other grains are kind of struggling with. Those comments today from Cody Carson. He is chairman of the National Sorghum Producers Board. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Well, it is getting cold here in January, so it's time to focus on indoor gardening. Horticulturalist John Begno has some tips from San Angelo. Well, gardening has come to the forefront, especially vegetable gardening in Texas and around the U.S. for that matter, and maybe even the world. People have kind of reconnected with that and January is the kind of month that we do a lot of preparation not so much planting as far as vegetables and other flowers go but we do this preparation that is of course choosing an area to garden choosing soil preps like plowing tilling adding organic matter that sort of stuff but don't overlook starting your own seeds you know we're kind of at the mercy of the garden center and nursery for the supply of plant materials to plant in the spring And if you'd like to try something a little different, if you've never started your own seed, you need to think about it now because we start six weeks before we're going to plant the seeds outdoors. So if my last spring freeze average in Texas at San Angelo is March 24th, I'll be starting my tomatoes and peppers and eggplants about February 15th. So I need to work now at finding and locating those seeds and a really good source uh, 
and you can purchase supplies as well, like pots and soil and everything is totally tomatoes. Now, not advertising for that company, but it is a family-owned operation that has been around a long time, and they have some really cool stuff as far as heirloom tomatoes. If you'd like to grow tomatoes that taste like a tomato, for instance, because you're tired of some of these others that might have been shipped long distances and don't actually have the flavor, and a lot of other options out there. Or maybe peppers, if you want to grow the hottest pepper in the world, like the ghost pepper. Well, you sometimes hard to buy those at a garden center or a nursery, but you can order those from some places. So get online and look at those and do a little operation or a little planning as to when your seeding date is. Give yourself about five to six weeks before you're going to plant them outside, and that's normally going to be fairly early because we'd like to beat the heat in Texas. So try that. Try seeds inside. If you're homeschooling kids or working with kids, it's a great science project. This is John Begner reporting from San Angelo. They say that teamwork makes the dream work, and hopefully it can help control wild pigs across the U.S. I'm Jessica Domel, and I have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And many omega-3 fatty acids have been shown to have multiple benefits in horses. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a closer look at that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an insurance agent who's a true neighbor. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. You may have heard that omega-3 fatty acids are good for you, but did you know they're also good for horses? Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd tells why. Dr. Lori Morgan from Florida indicates that horses require a dietary source of omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids because they lack the enzymes to make them in their bodies. Both omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids contribute to normal inflammatory and immune responses, but the large amount of omega-6 fatty acids in the horse's diet can lead to increased inflammation. For this reason, omega-3 fatty acid supplementation may be beneficial for the horse's immune system, although study results are variable. Some studies have shown an increase in response to vaccination in horses fed omega-3 fatty acids, and lots of owners feed omega-3 fatty acids to reduce arthritis and other inflammatory conditions, although there is not a lot of evidence to support this use. Horses supplemented with omega-3 fatty acids do seem to have a reduced response to biting insects and joint inflammation appears to be reduced, although there was no response in reducing lameness in one study. Also, the use of omega-3 fatty acids did decrease the number of white blood cells, coughing, and the respiratory rate in horses with equine asthma, and this was at a low dose of only 2,000 milligrams of DHA per day. It is believed horses exhibit a better response to long-chain omega-3 fatty acids such as EPA and DHA versus omega-3 fatty acids from flaxseed. Horses generally consume a diet already high in omega-3 fatty acids, assuming they are getting fresh grass or hay. This helps to balance out the high levels of omega-6 fatty acids in cereal grains, rice bran, and vegetable oil. 
commonly fed in today's equine rations. So in many cases, supplementing with omega-3 fatty acids containing EPA and DHA may be beneficial for many horses. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Getting a handle on the wild hog problem is a nationwide issue, and one Texan is leading an effort to make that happen. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife report. Wild pigs, or feral hogs, don't recognize the boundaries of your property, a city's limits, or even state lines. They go where they want to and where they're able, causing destruction almost everywhere they go. That's why it is important for neighbors, municipalities, and states to work together to curb the growing wild pig population. Dr. John Tomacek, wildlife specialist for the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service, is now chair-elect of a task force that is working to do just that bring people together to stop wild pigs. It's called the National Wild Pig Task Force. We'll coordinate at a local level. I always give the example that a county government may say, you know, we have a pig problem and the solution to that is we need a bounty. Bounty's going to fix the problem. Well, the nice thing about the task force is you're sharing the experience of so many people over the years that we're able to say, actually, we have a white paper on that. And from all of our experience and all of the science we've done, bounties don't fix the problem. And here's why. It's a very easy way to kind of take all of that combined knowledge and get it where it needs to go, maybe at a local level. That can also be at the national level where, you know, in Congress, there are measures being introduced or bills being introduced or a member of Congress says we're interested in doing this. What is the latest, greatest information? Where do we need to be putting our effort? What works? What doesn't? And this body is is an independent actor, right? So Congress isn't talking to one of their agency people. Congress isn't talking to a competing organization or state government or anything like that. It is an independent body that is scientific that can help advise those decision makers and policymakers. That was Dr. John Tomacek, chair-elect of the National Wild Pig Task Force. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We continue to see a lot of volatility in our agricultural markets this week, mostly lower prices on Wednesday. We'll take a look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Truck drivers, if you're stuck on a railroad crossing, don't just sit there. It takes a freight train more than a mile to stop, even in an emergency. So by the time you hear this, it could be too late to save your truck and maybe your license or your life. Instead, immediately get out of your truck, away from the tracks, and call the number on the emergency sign at the crossing. That gives the railroad a chance to stop trains before they get to you. Always call the emergency number. It could save your truck, your license, and your life. Go to OLI.org for info. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Wednesday brought mostly lower prices in our agricultural markets. The cattle complex trading lower throughout most of the day. Here's how we wrap things up. February live cattle down 55 cents, 116.45. April down 47, 122.62. June live cattle down 42 at 119.05. The feeder market lower, March feeder cattle down $1.40, $140.07. April feeders down $1.20, $143.07. Cash fed cattle market still mostly quiet. We do see some asking prices at $1.15. The online fed cattle exchange sold on Wednesday. 
We did see some Texas cattle sell. 901 sold at 112 and three quarters to 113. We also had a couple of hundred head in Oklahoma. Those all selling at 113. Boxed beef prices continuing to climb. The choice up 73 cents, 229.79. Select up a dollar 44 at 218.77. Let's check the auction barns now. East Texas livestock in Crockett, Texas, selling 2,496 head this week. The trend was steady. Two to three weight steers, a dollar 61 to 215 a pound. Three to four weight steers, a dollar forty-one to a dollar ninety-nine. Four to five weights, a dollar thirty-eight to a dollar seventy-three. Five to six hundred pounders, a dollar twenty-seven to a dollar sixty-four a pound. And the six to seven weight steers brought a dollar sixteen to a dollar forty-six. Slaughter cows, forty to sixty-three cents. Slaughter bulls, seventy-seven to ninety. Stocker cows brought six ten to twelve seventy-five ahead. Back over to the futures market now where lean hogs were mixed. February hogs up 12, 70.57. The April down 65, 76.30. Class 3 milk slightly higher. The February up 18 cents, 15.55, 100 weight. The cotton market continues to drift lower. Not a whole lot of news in the market this week. About the only thing affecting the trade on Wednesday was a higher dollar. And of course, as the dollar rises... That hurts export prospects and puts pressure on both cotton and grain prices. March cotton down 87 points at 80.84. The May down 82, 81.99. December cotton down 61 points, closing at 78.08. As we mentioned, the higher dollar pressuring grain prices. Wheat market lower because of that. July wheat down five and a half, 6.35 and three quarters. July Chicago week down seven at 640 and a half. The corn market was mixed. The nearby March up one and three quarters, 534 a bushel. The new crop contracts lower. September down two at 468 and a half. December corn down two, 442 and a half. In the energy markets, February natural gas up a nickel, 271. March crude oil up 12 at 5273 a barrel. The financial markets lower. The Dow Jones Industrial Average dropping 633 points, 30,303. The NASDAQ down 355 at 13,270. The S&P 500 down 98, 3,750. That's a look at the markets, and that wraps up another edition of Texas Ag Today. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. And don't forget, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.